The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning. Seven reasons why I don't believe in God. Number one, not enough evidence. If God were real and wanted me to know, wouldn't he provide better evidence than what we have? Look at the trees. Isn't good enough for me. Number two, indoctrination. Most people on earth believe the same way that their parents do or the people around them do. Number three, I can't make myself believe. We don't choose our beliefs. We either believe something or we don't. And I can't make myself believe, no matter how many people tell me, that I need to. Number four, there are some truly awful things in this world. Why would a God allow world hunger and terminal illness in children if he's supposed to be good? Number five, intelligent design is not so intelligent. Over 99% of the species who have ever lived on Earth are now extinct. Number six, the Bible. If the Bible were the word of God, wouldn't he make it more reliable? Wouldn't the Gospels have been written during Jesus' lifetime? And number seven, science. We learn more about the universe every day, and the God of the gaps is shrinking. My father-in-law, uh, Kirk Sam's diehard Tennessee fan. Yeah. He was he was just like glued Super to the familiar. TV. Kirk is one of my favorite people. I didn't realize that was your father-in-law. Kirk is one of my yeah. favorite people. Um, yeah. So in my bracket, I have Tennessee and Duke in the final. Well, there and you go. Duke beating Tennessee 75-67. I fill out more than one bracket because I cheat. So I've got like – uh, Those I've games a- start today, don't they? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I might Big fill day. out another one. I might Big fill day. out my realistic bracket. Right. Well, that's I tell people all the time. I have a fandom bracket, and then I have right. an actual bracket. Right. Um, I've actually got Arizona winning the national championship, as long as nobody cares about that. Um, but anyway, I just Arizona's got so many phenomenal players, and they play really efficient. So yeah, it's so great, uh, and we can get to stuff here in a little bit. But it's so crazy, like teams like Arizona, like I would even say UCLA's got a a decent chance. But it's like if you're a Team on the West Coast, you just don't get a lot of love because all the really media is on the East Coast. It's very sad. Speaking of not oh. getting a lot of love, Joshua, you haven't said two words, man. What's up? I'm just so depressed. Tennessee is now a basketball school. <laughs> For real. It that bothers kind of, me, man. Kind of, well, well, why does that bother you? They're a basketball school. I'm a football school. guy. We'll say they're, they're a basketball school. They're, they're going to be, a gonna be okay in football, though. They just got to get a defense, and they'll be good. Man, hey, they haven't yeah, lost a rugby game in 845 days. They're rugby all national I, champions right now. All nice. I know is rodeo season is about to start, and that's that's my sport. So, well, that's right, holler at me in, right. in about July. I, I always look forward to – Tech's fishing team or angling mm-hmm. team. There you go. You know? Yeah. It's the Agreed. only thing that, but I don't know. Tech sports has kind of taken a level up. Their softball team's ranked sixth. Their Sweet. soccer team, their soccer team at one point is in the top five. AAC always has good soccer. I don't know what it is over there, but they're like Florida State, Maryland, Tech, Duke. Those schools always rep really big when it comes to soccer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, guys, welcome back. Uh, this is super exciting. As always, I'm here. Joshua's here. And Joshua, we're tackling a topic today for the Content Warning Podcast, right? A Bible Culture Podcast where we break down modern theology versus biblical content. And we are breaking down a topic today that is so outside the realm of what I think a lot of people would say is normal that we had to bring in the big guns. That's right. Uh, and, and that is... <laughs> Dean Meadows oh, my is goodness. with us today. Uh, I'm a okay. big fan of Dean. I met Dean 
Dean, I guess I met you probably, I guess it was probably four or five years ago now. You gave a lecture at Bear Valley on street epistemology. Uh, yeah. One of the first times I met you. Currently at the Blacksburg Church of Christ, right, as the campus minister there. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're good. You can, uh, my phone's already been ringing this morning, yeah, too. You can edit that out. Nah, it's all good. Uh, campus minister at the Blacksburg Church of Christ. Uh, so like we just kind of talked about Duke fan living in Virginia Tech territory. Uh, how long have you been there? You haven't been there that long, though, have you? I haven't been here this long, that long. I've been here since August of nice. uh, 2021. So Very nice. Adjusting well? Got one semester under me, and we're about at the halfway point for the uh, – spring semester so we've okay, got so that's right. are you, are you on essentially spring break march right april and may that students just got back okay, from got spring you. break so i got you uh so, busy, so yeah busy we're, it's busy i'm busy every single day with something <laughs> going on at the campus and uh i love it um it's uh it's a it's a nice mix of what two things that i love which is uh, theology and apologetics and those sure. come together in a very real way absolutely uh, on a college campus so absolutely I'm, well, I'm right I'm right where uh, I want to be and I'm glad that the Lord has opened that door for me to be here that's awesome. fantastic um, speaking of that right so Dean also uh, wasn't a campus minister when I met you but you were still working for and and explain to me because I get missed out. Do you work for, or did you start, or are you like the owner of, he works for a company <laughs> called The Daily Apologist, right? Right. So The Daily Apologist is a 501c3 nonprofit that okay. I helped found back in 2016. Gotcha. And so uh, when I met you, I was working there, um, at that time it was part-time okay. four years ago. Okay. And then I did a, I just recently transitioned out of full-time work for The Daily Apologist um, to do campus work, okay. to take, you know, to take what, you know, we were producing um, and taking to congregations, still go to congregations, but right. really want to implement that kind of stuff um, to students. Because as we've seen uh, poll after poll after poll, uh, you know, students in high school, they start to wane a little bit. Yeah. And then that waning is actually secured during those college years. So, I figured, you know, we, we need, uh, you know, I think I, I just, you know, thought about it, prayed about it and said, Hey, the guy that, that has this skill set needs to be on a campus somewhere. And for sure, you know, it's crazy how I got to Blacksburg one night, I was just looking out and just saying, Hey, what, are there even any campus ministry jobs open? And I saw that there was one in Blacksburg and I grew up in Virginia Okay, and um, I was like, Hey, let me, you know, inquire about, you know, this position kind of helped. Uh, I don't know if it helped or hindered me, but it kind of pushed me in that way because yeah. uh, on a very superficial level, I'm a Virginia Tech football fan. So it's well, like, you hey, go. you know, there you go. But but no, the, the time here has been great. And uh, the eldership here just sees the need for campus work. And I'm glad that they, you know, allow me to do my thing. So for sure, awesome. for sure. And you mentioned, you know, college kids kind of wane in that particular area. And it's interesting because the video that we're looking at today uh, that you either listened to or, or heard already uh, or watched or heard already um, is a guy who goes by the, that, the tag Jesus unfollower, um, which is really interesting. And so I've watched several of his videos, not just the one that we've looked at today. And this is a guy who grew up in church uh, in the South, like still, still lives down here, uh, grew up in church in the South and eventually got to the point in his life where he looked and he's like, you know what? None of this makes sense anymore. 
Uh, and he gives out here seven reasons why he is no longer a Christian. We're going to try to break these down best we can. Uh, I know Dean is chomping at the bit because he's got so many uh, things going on. But one of the things that I love about the Daily Apologist, and we'll give you guys as many plugs as you want, uh, we'll put their their link of everything in, in the description of these videos. But one of the things I love about it, and one of the things that I took most away from your lecture is, is that the way people interact with each other when it comes to apologetics has slowly shifted. Um, that idea, I, I remember not your whole lecture, unfortunately, but a lot of the thing I remembered about the street epistemology thing is, is we're moving in a shift away from guys like Bill Nye that basically just come out and slam you for being stupid if you're a Christian and how could you ever refute the science and this, that, and the other. And it's a much more, I'm not going to say casual, but it's a much more friendly, interactive kind of dialogue. And one of the things I love about the Daily Apologist is, is you guys really encourage those interactions. Um, I think most of the people that come, at least the things that I see, most of the people that comment on your stuff are actually probably atheists. It's not at least half of the people. Um, right. No. And that's, that's what I, I mean, that's what I, uh, I love about, you know, what we do. And I think you're right as far as this shift goes. Um, and so really what, what happened after nine 11 guys like Richard Dawkins, the late Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, they wrote a bunch of books and they were very, uh, aggressive, uh, with the Christian audience. And so as culture has kind of um, shifted away from that uh, aggressive tone to where maybe you need to be more uh, concerned, tolerant, things like that. Um, a guy by the name of Peter Pagoshin, I think it was in 2012, wrote a book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. Um, I wish he wouldn't, you know, like... Uh, sugarcoat the title and what he's after there, right? A manual for creating atheists. I wonder what he's trying to do. Right. Um, no. And so what, what we try to say, uh, or what, what we try to promote is that, um, these dialogues are going to happen yeah. as, as culture moves and becomes more secular. Um, our youngest people and, and ourselves, even grown adults, um, when we have conversations about faith, it's no longer, uh, hey, let's just open up the Bible and see who has the correct interpretation or what the correct interpretation is. It's, I don't even believe that that thing's real. I yeah. mean, I, I see that you got ink on pages, but but I don't think the things that 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 you're saying took place actually took place. Or I don't believe that God exists. Or right. you know, you name it. And so the the best thing for the church to do, in my uh, as they say in France, uh, opinion. Uh, my my opinion is that we should not um, shelter ourselves from those conversations and those topics. What we need to do is we actually need to to engage yeah. those topics, engage um, that that community uh, after we've had you know uh, you know training. I think. Yeah. Well, and so and I think that's the. That's yeah. I think it's right the yeah. yeah, and I think that's the biggest. Um, just my opinion. I think that's one of the bigger um, missteps that we've made in the church. We've said, uh, let me, if I can, can I tell a story? Yeah, go for it. So what really kind of opened my mind up to this is that uh, there's a friend of mine who, who grew up in the church, was involved in converting me, and then went off to school at uh, a Christian school, reputable Christian school, um, 
got in with some friends who were uh, uh, taking philosophy classes and were I don't know if I don't know if they were philosophy majors or minors, um, but but they weren't Christians, uh, and they started asking him some very serious questions, some objections that he never heard. And so he figured that he could go back home and he could ask his, his dad, who was a preacher, um, these questions and his dad, you know, minister for however many years and his dad would, would have the answer. And as they were, uh, conversing outside, they're actually working on a car together. He starts asking his dad these questions and his dad looked at him and goes, you need to stay away from that philosophy stuff. And I did an interview. I did an interview with him later while I was at Biola, a worldview interview. And he said it was at that moment that I decided to leave Christianity because my dad was telling me to run away from this stuff where my friends were saying, uh, you need to consider these things with regards to Christianity. So on one hand, you've got the, the preacher dad over here who says you need to run away. And over here, essentially saying you don't need to worry about those answers. You need to worry. You need to run away from those things. But over here, you've got the skeptic friends who are philosophy majors or minors, don't know, and they've got answers. And so, I mean, he's still not a Christian today. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if that's totally because of these answers. Right. I'm sure there are other things that are involved. Yeah. But, but that is um, one of the things that young people who leave the church, I mean, will will tell people all the time. Well, over here, they don't have any answers. They tell they tell us not to not to ask right. questions, and so we've become very insular in yeah. in the church. We, uh, with regards to these types of topics, right? Well, we was, either don't we either don't address them, right? Or or the other piece of that, and I'm sorry to to ramble here. No, you're good. Um, or the or the other piece of that is we become hyper aggressive, yeah, towards the other side. Well, mm-hmm. so that was what I was going to say. It's one of those things that for some reason or another. Um, for whatever, like I said, there could be a number of reasons. Growing up in the church, like I did, apologetics seems to be like that epitome of daunting topic. That right. that it's just really, really hard. Like you've got apologetics and the Holy Spirit are those two things that like <laughs> you sit there and fight over and are you, and you can't right. quite figure anything out. Um, and then you know, and it was one of those things that it was easy to shrug off for a long time because well, atheists were just. There was just a lack of faith or they weren't going to believe no matter what you said or, you know, atheists, on the other hand, would say that that all religion is is pseudoscience and logical fallacy. Um, and it was just one of those things that for some reason or another, most Christians look at apologetics as kind of one of those big daunting, for lack of a better term, let somebody else figure it out and give right. me what I'm supposed to say uh, as yeah. opposed to want to dive into it. And I think that's kind of where Jesus unfollower is coming from. And a lot of right. the the atheists on social media, at least from what I could tell, most of them were Christians who, for lack of a better term, deconstructed, uh, and those are the ones that are putting out the majority of of atheistic content. I, I would I would agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, apologetics does uh, it does seem like for a lot of people in the church that in order for me to be an apologist, I need to have a a PhD in philosophy. I need to have a PhD in science. I need to have a PhD in theology. I need to have all this background. Um, but, but what we're trying to show at the daily apologist is, um, 
you can be quote a lay person, your average Christian, um, and still be effective in meeting the culture where they are. So the gospel can change, uh, who they are right, right now on our team. There's not one person. Well, excuse me. There's one person, uh, Dwayne Bryant who writes for us and does some things for us. He's the only PhD that we have on the team. Everybody yeah. else, um, either, uh, everybody else doesn't have a PhD, right? Um, not saying that that won't change, but right. what I mean by that is, you know, we have people who, um, don't necessarily specialize like in apologetics. We got some specialists, but right. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, you don't have to have a PhD to, to be an effective, uh, apologist. All apologetics is, is just giving a defense for why you believe what you believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And like anything else, um, you know, there was a time where none of us, you know, none of us were really good Bible students, right? We didn't know how to study the Bible. So what did we do? We took the time we invested yeah. to study. <laughs> and so what this is going to require, uh, for parents, for youth ministers, for campus ministers, for preachers is there, the, the culture is going to force us, whether we like it or not, to have to study this stuff. Yep. And if, if we go, if we go, around and we say, well, that's for somebody else. You know, that's why we have, um, you know, the daily apologist. That's why we have AP. That's why we have, uh, uh, the Warren center. Um, well then we are going to be in a world of hurt because even if we, even, even if everybody at the daily apologist and the other two organizations I, I mentioned were to travel 300 and or, or 52 weeks out of the year, they still wouldn't reach everybody that could possibly right. be be reached. Right. So, um, one of the things that we're trying to do, uh, you know, with our online coursework is my dream for us is that we make apologetics as simple and easy to understand and to, um, put in your, your theological tool belt for at least one Christian in every congregation so that they can train other Christians in this area. That's essentially why we do it what we do. That's why we do this simple infographics that we do. That's why we have the coursework, stuff like that. But, but yeah, so that's a, a cheap, shameless plug for, for our mission and our goal. But to your point, this is where, um, this is where we are forced to be yeah. because of culture. And for we sure. can either fight that or we can just embrace that. And I would just say real quick, before we get into the video, um, I would encourage elders, um, that if you've got people in your congregation who are just um, craving that type of uh, that, that's their wheelhouse. That's what they want to do. That's what uh, they, they are. The ones who say, I want to start a defenders class or I want to start an apologetics class or, Hey, I want to go get an education in this area so I can come back and train the church. I would encourage you to strongly, strongly consider allowing them to start that class and in some way, shape, or form, monetarily fund that education. Yeah. It is an investment in the long run for the health of the church. So there's my soapbox, and I'll get off. Oh, of you're it. good, man. <laughs> you're good. But you mentioned the video. We're going to get right into it. This guy gives seven reasons why he doesn't believe in God. There's seven reasons why he was a Christian. Now he's not. Uh, we're just going to run through them. Uh, and some of these will spend a little bit longer time on than others. But right off the bat, number one, there's not enough evidence. 
right? Which is generally what the whole apologetics debate, for lack of a better term, kind of boils down to is is the, the evidence, the burden of proof, and, and so on and so forth. And he makes the comment, you know, if if God existed, why didn't he give us better evidence or more clear evidence? Uh, and he makes the comment that, well, look at the trees is not good enough for him <laughs> anymore. Um, well, uh, I, I found that to be interesting because I would, in, in some aspect, I would agree that look at the trees is is not enough. Uh, and that's just a, I think that that's just a pejorative term that he's using. Right. Um, and so the question that we, the one way that we can be effective apologists is ask really good questions, right? I, I don't know who said it first, but a 10 cent question is better than a million dollar opinion, right? Mm-hmm. So if he, if someone comes to me, uh, like Jesus and follower and says, well, how come, you know, there's not enough evidence. Okay. Well, my next question would be, okay. Well, what do you mean by enough evidence, right? Um, yeah. Or, uh, you know, if he if they say, well, how come God didn't make this evidence clearer? Okay, well, well, what do you mean by that? So, right. if the evidence that we have right now isn't enough, what do you mean by that? Or if it's not clear enough, what do you mean by that? And then ask the question, well, what would be enough evidence, mm-hmm. or what would make it clearer? for you. And, you know, for me personally, as I, as I listen, um, and saw the video, I, I just start running through, um, the arguments that provide evidence for the existence of God. I mean, you've got the, the Kalam cosmological argument, you've got the fine tuning argument, you've got the argument from consciousness, the argument from reason, the ontological argument, you've got the historical reliability of the new Testament. You've got the historical case for the resurrection. Uh, you've got the argument from reason. You, uh, I mean, those are eight right there right. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that when I look at it I say, okay, well, well, let's just for a, a split second, look at the Kalam, whatever begins to exist has caused the universe to begin to exist. Therefore the universe has a cause. Well, um, what, what, what about that? You know, doesn't uh what would be what would be the objection there okay well even if the kalam fails which i don't think that it does you still have got seven other arguments that lay out Mm -hmm. evidence for the existence of god and more specifically uh the truth of the christian worldview so so what if 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 god were to say all right hey uh I'm going to go ahead and, and write on the moon in Hebrew, Yahweh exists. And so you need to believe, I mean, would that do it? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so, so we see this also as a biblical example. I mean, how many times did, uh, one of my favorites is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then in John, and then the very next chapter, I believe it's John chapter six, uh, in the very next chapter, uh, they go out and they find Jesus and they say, Master, when did you get here? And he says, hey, you didn't come here because, uh, essentially I'm paraphrasing here, you didn't come here for the spiritual lesson, you came because your bellies were full. And then the very next question they ask is, well, what sign do you do so that we might believe? Well, well, didn't they just see him? Like feed yeah. 5,000 people? So uh, I don't want to um, – I don't, I don't want to put words or or put – uh, intentions on Jesus on follower that he doesn't give, but I would ask him, uh, you know, if he sees this video, I would ask him, okay, well, you've said that 
there's not enough evidence. My question would be what evidence, uh, what, what more, uh, what, what would make evidence more clear or what type of evidence would you accept right. for Christianity to be true or for God to exist? And let's have a conversation, uh, you know, about that. Well, okay. Yeah. So, well, and so th- this is my thing when it comes to like the idea of apologetics and having these conversations, a lot of times what I find is more times than not, uh, occasionally you're going to find somebody who, and you get a really, really positive interaction more times than not. A lot of times what I find in these particular interactions is Christians will give their evidence and then atheists will say, well, this is why that evidence doesn't make sense. And here's my evidence to disprove your evidence. And then here's mm-hmm. more evidence to disprove the evidence that you just gave to disprove my evidence. And so you keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And at some point, I think both sides have to ask, okay, at what point are we going to agree that they're, cause it's one of those type things that it's difficult, especially with the access to information that we have now is you can find anybody that will say anything about anything that agrees with what I think right. um, and, and vice versa. So it's, it's one of those things that the idea of having clear evidence, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I completely agree with what you're saying. The idea of, okay, how much evidence would be enough or what can make evidence more clear. The problem is, is that is such a gray realm because everybody sees that differently that it becomes really difficult to get past that. Um, cause I watched, it was a very last second video that I think that you did, uh, not too terribly long ago on a, on a YouTube channel, uh, on an atheist YouTube channel. Um, and, and it was very much, uh, it felt as though you guys were doing a great job interacting with one another, but it felt like you were giving evidences and he was like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. And here's why. And you're like, well, okay, but yeah, but what I said still makes sense because here's why. Um, and it very, I don't, how do we avoid that, I guess, is one of those things. When you talk about how there's not enough evidence, because um, we'll get to this in a say, you can't make people accept the evidence that's there, right? Right. So um, it, it seems like uh, in in some situations or some circumstances, we have to understand that, and, and I'm not saying that this is the case with Jesus unfollower. Um there are certain situations and circumstances where it doesn't matter what arguments I lay out. Uh, the person just won't accept that. Right. And so what I have to do is I have to be um, considerate. I have to be humble. I have to discern and say, okay, um, you know, it seems like we have filtered through all of the possible explanations for this particular argument for God. And this person is accepting it. Um, I seem to believe that I have adequately answered their uh, objections. And so at this point, it's just a matter of, do I continue down this road or do I say, okay, hey, you know, when it comes to this particular argument, let's say we're talking about the fine tuning argument of the universe. uh, When it comes to fine tuning, I've laid this out. You responded. I responded to that. And we've, we've traveled as far as we can go. It just seems like we're at an impasse. Uh, I wish you the best. You know, I hope that at some point, um, you know, you would come to a knowledge of the truth or, or that, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. Maybe there's something that I'm missing. I hope that if there is something I'm missing, uh, I see that and adjust, uh, whether that's, you know, finding a, a solution for that, for Christianity to be true based upon, or at least God's existence to be true based on fine tuning or give up the fine tuning argument and just say, Hey, we've, we've traveled, 
this road as far as we can go. And, uh, you know, it's just best that we just agree to disagree here. I think that that's, I think that's one way, uh, to look at that, to handle those types of, of situations. Um, but two, I would also say that as long as the other person is willing to engage, um, honestly, um, genuinely that, to keep that door open and just keep examining uh, the argument. So, you know, for instance, you're talking with somebody and the conversation's going well, and it does seem like, Hey, I'm offering something. They're offering objection. I'm answering their objection. They're offering another objection. It's okay to go ahead and, and mine that field um, because it's going to cause you to think more. It's going to cause the other person to think more. And at the end of the day, it just helps me, um, examine this particular, this particular argument for the existence of God. And what I've found is that as I, as I do that, um, I find that, so for instance, my, my favorite argument is the Kalam argument. I found that, that, uh, no matter what objection is brought to it, um, as I mind it, even things that I don't even, uh, I've never seen before, um, it just holds up, you know? And so that gives me more tools in my tool belt. It allows me to think more about that. And it draws me, uh, at the end of the day, it draws me closer to God. So I don't know that there's a, a, a fail safe for those types of situations right. where you're just going down the rabbit hole, but just treat those situations, um, with discernment and humility and kind of know, okay, it seems like we've gone as far as we can. I need to, I need to move on. Right? Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. I don't know if that helped. No, I, no, I <laughs> but, agree with that completely. It's but, one of those. But you're just that, not going to be able in yeah. certain situations. You're just not um, going to be able to convince everybody. Yeah. I mean, well, Jesus I didn't think, convince 100 percent of the people, right? Exactly. And I, I think one of the biggest problems that we run into, uh, and I say we, like the collective religious we or whatever. Uh, I think one of the problems that we run into is I think far too many of us are content to go well we'll just agree to disagree and we'll go our separate ways and we don't like putting forth that effort uh which is not in my opinion not a great mentality to have anyway um you know it's it's one of those things that i when i worked with with, as a youth minister one of the things that i tried to get our high school students to really buy into is uh is is do everything you possibly can to not leave a conversation without the possibility of a a follow-up Right. Um, regardless of what the topic was. So that was, I, you know, I love that. And like I said, there's, there's go follow the daily apologist right now. If you want a <laughs> breakdown of every single one of those arguments that, that Dean just laid out, uh, we just don't have time for it right now. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we'll get him number two. Uh, so that's number one is that there's not enough evidence uh, and there's, there's plenty of evidence out there. And that's why we brought Dean on um, number two though. He said uh, is indoctrination. This is why he doesn't believe in God is because indoctrination, he said, bottom line is most parents just believe what their parents do. And I don't disagree with that, right? Most humans have given, have been given a set of beliefs uh, that eventually grow and mold over time. Um, now, and here's how I would say this, because I've watched several videos on this. I, atheists would argue that it's only indoctrination when you force somebody to believe something, right? That the idea of growing up in an atheistic household is not indoctrination because we're not teaching anything. We're just living. 
uh, and we're not accepting the existence of something that in their their arguments doesn't exist. They said religion, on the other hand, is indoctrination because you're forcing your beliefs upon somebody else mm. in, in a sense that doesn't. And so there's a little bit I would say there's a little bit of truth there um, in the sense that most people, in my opinion, most people believe what their parents believe to up up until a certain point, up until they go, OK, look, now I disagree with what my parents said about this, quote unquote. Joshua and I have joked on here several times. I actually don't know if we've joked on this while we've been recording or not. But we're <laughs> we're both far more. Huh, what's we're far different people uh, in our beliefs and our faith than we were when we were still living at home. I'll put it that way. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I wondered though, like the whole indoctrination thing, a lot of times people talk about it in the realm of Christianity, but would you only limit it to the realm of Christianity? You know, what about our Muslim friends or our Hindu friends or our Buddhist friends, things like that? Is it, or is it what about just in the, the realm of politics? Yeah. We, you know, we tell people that they're indoctrinated because of politicians all the time. Well, the thing about this oh boy, argument, well, look at the time. Look at the time. <laughs> no, I'm just the, kidding. <laughs> the thing about this argument is we all learn something from someone, and Christians have a charge to pass on our faith. There is an element in which that faith, I think, should become your own, and you should develop it your, yourself and study it yourself. But you learn it from somewhere. And I, I heard a, a story the other day of a is a guy is African American guy, but he goes to KKK rallies in hopes of having conversations with Klan members. You guys may know who I'm talking about. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I need to meet him but, though, because that's uh, my that's my type of dude right there. Yeah, I mean it's an incredible story. But he says, you know, I don't get in fights, I don't argue or anything, but I, my goal is to change their perspective because their perspective is they hate me before they even meet me. Right. And so it's it's like taking a kid to a magic show and seeing the magician do this trick and the kid's saying, you won't believe what this magician did. But when you explain, which ruined the, the childhood of this of this kid, but if you explain okay. how those things take place, my headphones always fall out when I record. But if you explain how those how that takes place, you've changed the perspective and the reality of that child has become different. And so I think that's the challenge as as we talk about indoctrination and stuff. You're not forcing your beliefs on anyone, but the challenge is to change a perspective and let that perspective become reality. Yeah, I, I think you you've made a good point there. I would I would say this: um, just holding my parents' belief is not technically indoctrination because what indoctrination actually is it's it's the it's the process of of um teaching a person or or maybe even a group of people to accept a particular belief um how would i say it to accept, accept a particular belief uncritically mm -hmm. right so and that's what indoctrination is so so even if i hold my parents faith as long as I have examined that critically, then I'm not indoctrinated, right? I'm not, I, I haven't. Now, when we say things like, um, what is indoctrination is when, if I were to tell my, my oldest daughter, Nora, who's five years old and now, and she comes to be, she comes to me to church. Um, she goes to events and then at, at 13, 14 and 15, she's got questions like, Hey dad, how do you know that God exists? And I say, uh, you need to be quiet. You need to just accept that. 
well, she's asking a critical question and I'm telling her to believe this without asking that question. That's indoctrination. So here's, here's the, here's the thing. Um, the, the shoe, uh, what the, the old term is, if it's good for the goose it's good for the gander, right? Well, if, if that is good for Christianity, then it seems like it would also be good, uh, for what we call cradle atheists, people who grow up in a secular home without any religious belief. If, if their parents are saying, you know, God doesn't exist, uh, or Christianity is untrue, or Jesus didn't rise from the grave, and they're doing that, and they're not allowing their their son or daughter to examine that those claims critically, then they're just as guilty of indoctrination, right? Um, and then I guess the second thing that I would say here is that uh, you know Jesus and followers saying, well, people hold their their parents' belief. Um, you know, most people hold their parents' belief, but, but that doesn't do anything to prove or negate the truth value, the truth claim of Christianity. This is what we call a genetic fallacy in philosophy, where we say, uh, that something is only true solely on the basis of, uh, where it came from and the means and the source, uh, by which it came. So, He's saying essentially, well, you're Christian because you grew up in mommy and daddy's house and their mommy and their, and they grew up in mommy and daddy's house. So of course the only thing that would ever be is Christian. Well, even if that's true, um, that I grew up in a Christian home, therefore I'm more likely to adopt Christianity. That does nothing to say whether or not Christianity is actually true or false. So two things here, um, with this particular point, one indoctrination can take place in a religious household and it can take place in a non-religious household. And then two, um, just because one might have a belief, um, based upon, uh, where, based upon the, the time and the place and the person they got it from does nothing to impede the truth claim of Christianity. So maybe give, give another example. Let's say someone said, well, the only reason that Christianity, uh, even, you know, was, is, is around is because people made up this, uh, belief out of, out of, uh, fear. Well, okay. Well, even if the belief in somebody originated because of fear, that does nothing to tell us whether or not that particular belief is actually true or not. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So at least it does to us anyway. I hope, yeah. Right. I hope it makes sense so let, let me use just a crazy example. Let's, let's say I said, um, uh, you know, I believe that there's a, a pink elephant over here on the right side of the room. Uh, because if I don't believe that, then I'm, I'm scared that, a that an elephant might actually tramp might actually trample me. Okay. Well, that belief has arisen out of fear. But just because that belief is arisen out of fear does nothing to show whether or not an actual pink elephant is in the room over to the right. I hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah. I'm really curious now. I'm not going to ask you to turn your camera around, but now I'm really curious. <laughs> there is no pink elephant in the <sighs> in the room. Uh, See, I thought that was, examine I thought, the evidence. But yeah, but yeah. So I thought that might have been so, a mind trick. So, so two things. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, so. I, was saying, I thought that might have been a mind trick. I know you've got kids, so I didn't know if there was like a stuffed <laughs> animal, pink elephant. <laughs> right, right. So, so the origin of a belief does nothing to impede right. the truth value of a belief. 
right. and indoctrination can happen on both ends of the spectrum. So absolutely, um, and that's yeah, that's just one of those things that it's it's kind of thing. It's not necessarily easy to get around because fighting indoctrination is is different than growing up with a, a critical look at your own faith and beliefs and and looking at what the Bible says. But yeah, I think don't get me wrong, I, I think that there is indoctrination on both sides. Um, but I don't think you can do a broad brushstroke and say, well, all religion is, is indoctrination period. Right. And, and this need, maybe this is another practical point and a, and a plug for apologetics in general. Why does unfollower Jesus feel like that is a good argument against the church? Why does he feel like that's a good argument against Christianity or religion in general? Well, maybe because he grew up in a, and yeah. I don't know this. I'm just speculating. Right, Maybe he right. grew up and he saw that, right? Right. He saw that. Uh, I mean, even in the latest Barna poll uh, about Gen Z, one of Gen Z's biggest criticisms of church in, in general, regardless of denominational background, is churches in a place where we can ask questions. Yep. Yeah, and which is unfortunate and and something that I don't believe uh, was the intention by any stretch, but. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's sad. So that's point number two is that the idea of, of indoctrination. Number three he gives here is you can't make, says I can't make myself believe. Um, you know, you can't, he says, I think he phrases it that he, you can't choose what you believe no matter how many times people say, well, you just need to believe this. He's like, I can't make myself believe. And I think the easiest argument around that is, is we're not asking you to make yourself believe. I think what we're asking is look at the evidence that, is there right you know and and critically examine it and you know look at it in, in a sense of you know trying to be as as unbiased as, as possible um you know that's not forcing yourself to believe something that's trying to critically examine what is there for your benefit and one of the hardest things to do when you approach something to study is approaching it objectively and letting what you find dictate your opinion I run into this all the time, writing articles and papers and stuff, because I go into it with a preconceived notion, with that presupposition of what I want to be true. And then there are times where uh, that is you know, upheld by the research, and then there's other times where it just completely falls. And I, I'm, I'm forced to change my mind because the objective material is, is pointing in that direction. Like That's what happened with my master's thesis. I went into it with a particular belief and 112 pages later, I had to rewrite my conclusion because I found out that what I had originally thought uh, was, was wrong, or at least from the research that I did. So we're not like, it's like Nathan said, we're not asking people to go in with a preconceived idea that I'm going to believe. We're saying, let's look at the evidence. Let's evaluate it as objectively as we can and see where the evidence takes us. Because that kind of circles back to the first point about there's not enough evidence. Well, why don't we handle the evidence that we do have? And then let's see what that uh, presents to us. Right. So much here uh, in just that one comment, I can't make myself uh, believe things no matter how many times people say that I need to. Um, I would say that there is um, what I would say a... Uh, 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 involuntary aspect of uh, belief. Uh, in other words, uh, if someone came to me and said, I'll give you a million dollars to believe that there is a pink elephant in the right side of the room. Well, I, I just can't take that deal 
Um, because, you know, from a, from that perspective for that situation, like that's just not the case. Right. But there's also a, what I call a, a voluntary part of belief in that, um, as long as we have, uh, the ability to choose, well, then there is a, there is a, a way in which we, and in some sense we do choose what we believe, but that, as you've said, is based on good reasoning. Are there good reasons for me to believe that this particular thing or this particular proposition, uh, is true. And so, um, it almost seems, you know, just looking at the video and I don't know if Jesus on follower means this or not. I hope he's not taking a strictly uh, deterministic approach to belief. What I mean by that is, well, I'm just wired the way that I'm wired and there's no way that I could believe A, B, C, or D because that's just the way that I'm wired. Uh, I think that is just categorically uh, not true. And and if that if he is taking that route, um, then he's got some serious uh, some serious problems in other areas of of life, not saying that he himself does. I'm just saying the way in which he will come to conclusions about say like morality. Well, if I can't, if I, if I just am the way that I am and I choose to believe the way that I believe and I can't be, can't be, uh, I can't be made to, to believe what I believe. Well then what about some of the moral conflicts that may happen? You know, that, that kind of gets into a whole different area. But there is there is a sense of an involuntary uh, sense of not being able to choose to believe. But there is this other piece of the puzzle of, you know, the, based upon evidence and reason, you know, I can choose to believe that. So and, and a lot of things go into this. Um, once again, don't want to I'm not trying to uh, pin down Jesus on follower in a particular uh, way. But, um, you know, Why? would someone not choose to believe that Christianity is true? Well, maybe they're not convinced by the evidence. That's one possible way. Uh, maybe they have what's called cognitive dissonance. They're, they're going to be um, uh, secular and they don't want to believe in God, no matter how much evidence you put in front of them. Um, or maybe there's some other, other factor there that I haven't mentioned. So um, yeah. So um, I would agree with him that, he shouldn't actually, I would agree with him. He shouldn't believe Christianity is true just because a bunch of people tell him that, <laughs> that he should, he should believe that Christianity is true because it's true. Um, and so I would love to have that conversation about, you know, why, why would you say, why do you say, yeah. you know, this here in that video? So good yeah, point you guys made too. Well, as well. It's, yeah. It's, it's super interesting thing too, because I think a lot of times we, I don't know that we put as much emphasis on, you know, Joshua, you talked about how with your master's thesis that uh, you went into something with, you know, with an intention and you ended up having to change your mind. And that's not necessarily an easy process on something as, as I'm not trying to offend you, but on something as trivial as a, as a master's thesis. Oh, I'm so offended. I'm sorry. When you're talking about something like this, you're talking about trying to convince somebody to examine evidence and change their mind about the, basically the entire way they view life um, and and their life and purpose and and all of these different things. That's a really, really big deal. Um, And it's not something that people do lightly. It's not something that people do easily. Um, And so I think that a lot of times people, 
I don't want to say that we're we're too cavalier, but I think sometimes we we don't necessarily that the weight of that decision isn't ever in the back of our mind, right? Um, I don't think a lot of times, you know, as, as Christians, because we view it as a defense of our faith, right? Nobody's asking us necessarily to change what we believe. We're just being asked to defend or provide proof. Uh, and I think a lot of times the weight of okay, somebody's asking me to change my entire way of viewing everything uh, in my life and how much that would affect us and how resistant we might be. Um, you know, and again, there, there's there's examining evidence and, and believing in, in truth because it holds up. And then there's, you know, but just getting into that mindset of what we're asking of people, because um, I think sometimes we just go, well, just look at the evidence. It's, it's plain as day. Just look at the evidence. It holds up. And the weight of just change your entire, like if we, if we were to phrase it, just change the entire way you look at life and shift your entire morals and purpose system. I think that might play more of a role in how we approach people uh, when it comes to, and, and again, it might make a little bit more sense to us why somebody would say, well, I can't make myself believe that. Sometimes it's that natural resistance to, that's a really, really big change. And I don't, I don't want to, or I can't, or, or whatever the case may be. Bless you. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, on on that same note, this kind of goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. It's we forget that conversations like this are they don't produce change overnight. At least very rarely do they produce change overnight. It's it's a it's a constant thing. It, it may take months. It may take years. I mean, who knows? So it's, it's just one of those things that we try to pursue and, and not give up on. Yeah. So it's interesting. Nathan said something that I found um, interesting when we say things like, well, if you would just change your worldview, all the, or, or if you say something like, uh, well, the evidence is right there. I can't believe you wouldn't be a Christian. That's like walking up to somebody uh, who's, <clears throat> believe something doctrinally incorrect and said, well, if you would just read your Bible, you know, it would be, it's there, right? Uh, it's very, very cavalier, very yeah. nonchalant, very, very arrogant. So <clears throat> I think it's, I think once again, we keep coming back to this, the way in which I approach people uh, definitely matters. So yes. good points uh, there as well. For sure. For sure. All right, guys, we've got 10 minutes left. So we're going to hit one more uh, and then, so I'm just going to go ahead. We're going to make the call right mid podcast. This is going to be a two parter because there's so much great stuff here. Uh, I'm going to rope Dean into coming back again to do part two of this. We're going to talk about one more point here, uh, and then we'll hit the final three in part two. We might actually split even this part into two parts, but, um, we're going to talk about number four here. He talks about how the fourth reason he can't believe in God or he doesn't, or whatever the case may be is, is that there's too much evil and suffering. Uh, in the world. Uh, he he can't get into the mindset of how this all-perfect, all-good God would allow uh, terminal illness in children and worldwide starvation, uh, all these, the worst things that the world has to offer. Um, he, he can't buy into that. And and I'll be honest, this is, this is me being as vulnerable as I can be. If there's one what I'm going to call decent argument against the existence of an all powerful, all good God. Uh, it, to me, it's the, the argument of evil and suffering. 
Um, and I believe that there's ways to combat that, but I believe this is probably the only viable argument that there is to, if you're going to choose to be- not believe in a God, this is probably the foundation of where you stand. Um, it is <clears throat> probably the number one reason why people uh, leave religion, why people leave Christianity. And once again, if you look at the newest or the most recent Barna poll about Gen Z, the number one reason why Gen Zers who would classify as Christians leave is because of the problem of uh, evil, the problem of evil, pain, uh, and suffering, which <clears throat> before we get into that, um, just as we do uh, apologetics, uh, we need to we need to argue um, where people are, right? Um, so <clears throat> right now, um, there's a lot of conversation about sex, gender, and identity going on in in culture, and so if that's the thing. Uh, or a thing that's popular, then we don't need to make arguments that were, uh, or we don't need to do it. We don't need to go to somebody who's struggling with the problem of evil, pain and suffering in their Christianity and argue uh, for something that was the issue 50 years ago, right? We need to meet people where they are. And so admittedly um, on on a college campus, uh, in a youth group, um, at a hospital, uh, this is the argument. And so there's um, a couple of ways to approach this. There's at least three types of arguments from the problem of evil. The first one is the logical problem of evil, that, that God and evil are logically contradictory. The second one is what we call the evidential problem of evil, um, that given the amount of suffering in the world, uh, it is probably true that God does not exist. And then the third one is what's called the emotional problem of evil. Um, that regardless of the logic, that regardless of the evidence, um, there is something emotionally about what has just transpired that causes me to say God doesn't exist. All right. So those are kind of the three uh, big pieces to the problem of evil. Now, the logical problem of evil it's simply saying, is it logically possible for there to be an all-loving, all-knowing God and evil to exist? And I, and I think that there is. Um, and here's why. Because I think the way that it's always been laid out is if God is all-loving, then he would stop evil. Um, if God is, or if God is all-loving, he, would, he wouldn't want evil to exist. If God is all powerful, then he could stop it, but evil exists. Therefore, God does not exist. Well, the atheist here uh, is making a couple of assumptions. First, he's assuming um, that God can just create whatever world that he wants to create. Well, given free will, um, that limits the type of world that God could create. All right. Um, So if God says, I want to create a world in which human creatures are free to uh, be in a uh, uh, a relationship with me in which they choose to be with me, right? Because love, which is the highest ethic, 
requires choice, right? Or I don't. I'm. A, are either one of you married? Yes. You're both married. Okay. So when you asked your wife to marry you, did you hold a gun to her head and say, "Will you marry me?" Or else I'll pull the trigger. Right. I was well, standing awfully close to the edge of a bridge, but no. All right. There you go. <laughs> but, but, but think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. You could hold the gun to her head and say, will you marry me? Or I'll pull the trigger. Well, she might say yes, but nobody would ever say, man, she made a free will choice to marry that guy. No, she was forced to marry that guy because there was a gun to her head. Right. That's completely different than than you removing the gun from her head and saying, hey, um, I love you. I care for you. I want you to be my wife. And she says, yes, that's a free will choice. Love requires that choice. And so if God wants creatures to come into a relationship with him freely by choosing love, then he has to create a world where not only they have the choice to love him and choose to love him, but also to have the choice to reject him, right? And in that rejection comes the consequence of evil, pain, and suffering. Uh, so God has good reasons to allow uh, that suffering in order to allow free will and the choice to love him. Also, well, God's all powerful. <clears throat> you know, he can make whatever world that he wants. Well, that comes back to, uh, does God want free creatures that choose or does, does God want robots? Right. Um, and so the other piece of this puzzle <clears throat> is that God wants the, uh, he wants all, he desires that all people come to a knowledge of the truth and know him. And so God also knows <clears throat> what it would take uh, for you and you and me to come into a knowledge of the truth. Well, maybe he knows that the only way that some people are going to come into a knowledge of the truth is if they feel the pain of evil, pain, and suffering. Uh, I can I can just give an anecdotal story real quick. Uh, I, I would argue that I would have never met my wife had my brother-in-law, uh, who's now my brother-in-law, not got osteosarcoma at the age of 21. He gets osteosarcoma at the age of 21. She's outside the church, mad at the world. She comes home to see him. We connect. We become friends. We end up getting married. Well, how did all that take place? Well, that whole scenario doesn't take place without some pain and suffering, right? She didn't come back to the church without some pain and suffering. Uh, even look at the text of Scripture. God, God uh, fulfilled the greatest work that he could have ever fulfilled in saving you and me from our sins through evil, pain, and suffering. Now, evil men caused, <clears throat> excuse me, evil men caused pain and suffering of Jesus. And then you look at Acts chapter one, right? Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, throughout the uh, uh, all the world. Well, how does that initially take place? Well, in Acts chapter seven, Stephen Stone, Acts chapter eight, what happens? There's a persecution that breaks out of the church. And what does it say there in the text? that they then went into Samaria and Judea. So God, God allowed this evil pain and suffering to take place so that the church might grow. And I know that might be a hard pill to swallow, but it could be that in order for the maximum number of people to come into a relationship with God, suffering must, must take place, must be allowed. All right. I know that's like drinking from a, a fire hose and we can, 
get more in depth into that, but that is essentially the deconstruction of the logical problem of evil. Yeah. All right. Well, and yeah, we can we'll, get into the evidential and other stuff in another episode because yeah. if we go into that, we'll be here for another for thirty sure. to forty minutes. Well, I was about to say, I don't want to. I don't want to hold you up anymore. I know we're we're sitting right at that one hour mark, and we are going to break this down to two parts. So we might flush some more of this out uh, sure. in in part two for sure. But yeah, I, I love what you said. I actually so part of the part part of the program that I'm in right now. I actually just got done taking a class on suffering in the human condition. Uh, and why that the the world we live in is the perfect world for the purposes of of soul making, uh, and why that epistemic distance has to has to exist, uh, and why that kind of plays what, a big. What role. class are you in? Uh, so I'm, it's it, it was it was a class called Suffering in the Human Condition. I'm, I'm doing a program right now at Freed uh, where I'm I'm nice. in the pastoral care and counseling awesome uh, masters. So that's that's part. That's one of the classes they teach us all about. They make us really really depressed at the very beginning of the program, <laughs> and then try to build us up the the rest of the way. <laughs> there you um, go. But anyway, so yeah, I guess stay tuned for part two. We're gonna flush out some more of these things. Those are the first four that we talked about. That there's not enough evidence. Uh, indoctrination. You can't make yourself believe. And we'll flush a little bit more of evil and suffering out when we come back next time. There's three more uh, that I'm not even going to hint at because I want you guys to come back that much. Uh, but we are going to do this in a part two. Uh, I hope that we can get this in. This will release just one day after the, uh, well, this part two will release one day after this particular video releases. Dean, thank you so much for being on, man. I'm super no excited that you're here. I'm going to have you back on again. Uh, for part two of this, um, any last final shameless plugs that you want to put yeah, in? Shameless plugs. Um, check us out on social media. There's a lot of, uh, really good, um, conversations going on on Facebook. Uh, you know, our website has amazing, we got an amazing team, amazing videos, great social media presence. Also, um, we will be at connect conference in July or excuse me, June, uh, that'll be at the Creve Hall uh, Church of Christ in June. Let me see when that is real That's quick. That's Nashville, right? That's Nashville. Nashville, right. Tennessee, for those who are listening around the world. Joshua, so, say something. I think your microphone is off. We're having technical issues. So, no, it's it's on. I've, just, I've got I it got muted because I'm over got here you. with phones ringing and I, okay. I just didn't so, want Joshua to start talking on video and nobody there, hears him. So. <laughs> So we'll be at Connect Conference this, um, uh, I th think it says, I don't know if it's June or July. I'll get back to you on part two, but yeah, we're good. I'll be there. I'll be doing a session there at uh, the Connect Conference on tactics for defending your faith. And then I'll also be at uh, Polishing the Pulpit in August uh, to do a session for uh, those of you who are in college, but also teens as well. And uh, we also, and, and this is the shameless of the shameless plugs right here. We also don't mind if, you, if people want to donate to help us uh, reach people, uh, reach the atheist community, train, train Christians, young people, parents, uh, and apologetics. We'd love to come to whatever congregation you're at and do a seminar to wet the palate and then get you into those free online courses at the daily apologist.com. Sounds awesome. By the way, connect conference. I just looked it up. I think it's July 27th through the 30th, 2022, yep. according to what they be said. There. So 
So you, you can do that. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys are on what Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok, right? Did you guys officially set up the TikTok? Yeah, I, yeah we just started a TikTok. We did our little response to Matt Delahunty, who critiqued one of our um, arguments from the contingency of the universe for the existence of God. And it was uh, a quick um, response. <clears throat> Hope that um, you know me and Matt can dialogue at some point in the future. So I look forward there to that. You. Perfect, perfect. Well, that is all for part one. Joshua, do you have anything else before we leave? And just glad that Dean got to be with us and appreciate all of his thoughts and comments. Look forward to part two. Made sense. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all all absolutely wonderful. Um, Stay tuned, guys, for part two. I'm excited about this. This is one of those videos that we're like, you know what? We'll do this all in one sitting. And then it's like, you know what? I don't think that's possible. There's so much good stuff here. Um, and so I know, like, I think the last thing I watched Dean on was actually like a four hour video that you sat on YouTube, um, with a guy just answering questions like live questions. So, uh, Dean is used to these long sessions, me and Joshua, on the other hand, not so much. Um, but anyway, so guys stay, stay tuned for part two. We're going to go over the rest of these seven reasons why God doesn't exist, why you shouldn't believe in God, uh, and why those are not necessarily good reasons until then. Um, again, check out the Daily Apologist. You can find all of our content by going to Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you find your podcast and searching for the Content Warning Podcast. Uh, until then, guys, appreciate you guys listening.